Hi, friends. You're listening to Midlife Plot Twists. I'm your host, Lucy Baber. This podcast is for anyone who's gotten to their 30s, 40s, or 50s and realized life isn't always as linear as we expected. Tune in monthly as I interview guests about their own midlife plot twists and hear how they've navigated all of life's unexpected twists and turns. Hey, everybody. I'm here with one of my favorites, Rakita Henderson. And we're just going to kind of free flow today. (laughs) We've got some things to talk about, but mostly I just wanted to introduce you all to Rakita and her awesomeness. So, uh, Rakita, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself properly? You can talk about how we met. You talk about who you are, what you do, where you live, how old you Uh, are, because we do talk about age here, all the things. Go for it. (laughs) <laughs> well, I am a 46-year-old um, wedding and portrait photographer based out of St. Louis, Missouri. I've been doing this as my full-time job this year. Let me do the math. Is your 15 or 16 yeah. as my full-time job? Yeah. You know how to math work? I don't know how to math be mathing, but yeah, it's around there. <laughs> um, it's been a great journey. I love my job. I would do it for free, but I have children who eat. I have three kids. I'm a mom. I'm a wife, I'm a daughter, but I'm currently working on being a more complete and thorough human and woman. Mm-hmm. So that is kind of my journey at this point. I've just realized that I'm middle-aged, so I'm coming to terms with that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just uh, trying to live the best life that I can and do better tomorrow than I did today. Yeah. 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 So what does uh, coming to terms with being middle-aged mean for you? How's that, Um, how's that feel? It it feels like, not that I need to settle into anything, but that time is not infinite anymore. Mm. I posted at some point that middle age feels like hunger games. Like the (laughs) goal is just survival. Like, like, like just survive. Like at this point, (laughs) everybody, like everybody around me is suffering the loss of parents and grandparents and like classmates, people I went to school with are passing away and it's happening at a much more frequent base than it did in my 20s and 30s, which is natural. Like the average age of an adult uh, American person is like 78. So, you know, at average, that means some people die younger and some people die older. So getting into the idea that for my family, in my family, um, most of the women in my family live into their 90s. So wow. I am effectively for my family's gene line at the halfway point. I am, for all intensive purposes, middle-aged. My grandma yeah. lived to be 102 and three quarters. She, I, We were really trying to get her to that three. And she was like, no, nah, I'm done with y'all. <laughs> <laughs> but like, so I expect that like if all things go the way you want life to go Mm -hmm. um ebbs and flows hills and valleys that i should live to be into my 90s so if that is the case what are the things that i am not what am am i procrastinating on that i don't want to procrastinate on anymore what are the things what are the chapters that i need to close and that i'm okay with closing Mm-hmm. What are the chapters that I want to open back up that I said I would do eventually? And what does eventually look like? And 
or is that still something I'm interested in? I don't want to live a life where when I get to the end and my body won't let me anymore, that I'm that I will be longing for the things that I did not try, did not do, did not focus, did not. And so I want to try it. I want to try to do more. I want to create. Like, I feel like that's the thing for me that I have not done enough of is create. Um, mm. I was a poet for a while. Uh, I painted for a while. And I'm um, a jack of all trades, like like in the most literal sense. In my <laughs> life, I am like B, like B level good at a whole bunch of shit. Like if you give me a thing, I like the thing enough to try it. I can get to B level good at it without a lot of effort. I've mm. always been that person writing. Um, the only thing that ha- that took like effort for me was math, like mm-hmm. literally. And I honestly think that was bad teachers, but you know, that's another day. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally anything that I ever wanted to do, I could get good at it with a decent amount of effort and get to a B level and be able like not good enough to do it professionally in a lot of spaces, but good enough to be, you know, passable like a decent like i played instruments i've done the whole spiel i cannot sing i'm never going to be beyonce but i okay i mean i don't think most of us are ever going to be beyonce i mean mean, you know vocal coach here and there we can Um, dream but (laughs) so for me um middle age is the time in which i get to be where i get to do the detail work on the human that i am like, I feel like I've spent a lot of time refining. If I am a clay mold and I get to work on myself, I have cut things off and put things in and move things around and like move things up and move things down that I necessarily can't get rid of. I've done a lot of working on myself as a human. And now I think I'm at the space where I should be refining. Like, yeah. I, I, I don't know that there will be large changes that happen to me as a person. Um in this next season of life. Um, I hope that I'm always open to learning and open to changing, but I don't feel like I'm chasing it the way I was in my twenties. Right. Like I'm not chasing, trying to figure out who I am. I'm pretty clear about who I am and what that means for me as a person. Mm -hmm. Um, Value wise, intention wise, and the way I live my everyday, the way that I interact with people, the way I love people, the way I hold on to people. Um, all of those things are clear. And so I just feel like I just need a little buffer here and a little shave there to get me to where I am naturally buffing my way through the rest of the growing that I need to do so that I can help my kids be the humans that they want to be, that I can help my, be the human that he wants to be that I can help, you know, I want to be able to help the people around me as much as I possibly can. Like I want to pour into them more, but I need to be full to do that. And so I've got to learn Mm. how to keep the fault. Like, and if we're being honest, you're not supposed to pour from yourself until your cup is empty. You're supposed to exist as a cup on a saucer and pour from the saucer. Things should overflow you. You Mm. should be filled to your limit and then what overflows is what you pour into other people you should never be pouring so that it depletes you 
And so that, that is a thing that I am learning that I don't have to like, I don't have to stop filling my, like my cup doesn't have to stop being filled for me to be of service to other people. And I feel like that's a thing that women in particular um, are guilty of. We stop working on us to work on other people. And I feel like there's got to be a way for me to be able to still be working on the things that I need, that I want, that fill my cup, that make me feel whole, make me feel focused and driven and happy without, and be still be able to serve the people who I want to serve in those ways. Some people you can kind of just tell just by meeting them that they come from a long line of helpers and that helping is like their their identity right and like when I when I think of my interactions with you over the years I see that in you that that is like it's not just who you are as a person but it's it's how you've been shaped by your lineage right is like mm-hmm. it's it's women who serve the people around them my grandma is yeah my, is I, my, I, my totem pole for that and I think uh what the way you just described that mindset though is a a pretty big shift for me um so yeah (laughs) like in in my family at least the mentality for the women the matriarchs was like you serve your people but it was always like sacrifice and it was kind of like uh almost like self-flagellation yeah Yeah. martyrdom Yeah, yeah it was it's very martyr focused and if and if you see a speck of yourself kind of like standing out in any one spot, then that's like, we got to do away the with worse. That. Yeah. Because yeah. because your role, you like the way you identified yourself, even at the beginning of our recording was like, I am, I am a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a photographer, I'm this, I'm a, but I'm working on being an individual and a woman. And mm-hmm. like those two pieces are things that like my mom and my abuela never would have even thought of including as their identity it's like i am a mom i'm a wife done (laughs) but ironically so i i have three kids um Mm -hmm. i have a 19 year old girl who's away in college Mm -hmm. she's in atlanta going to college having a a grand old experience Mm -hmm. um she's home for the summer but she spends her her time in atlanta um i have a 15 year old girl Mm -hmm. and then i have a 12 year old son who just tried to call um (laughs) and Ironically, my daughter turning into a college student was a catalyst for that for me because my mm-hmm. time as a direct everyday mother is coming to an end. Mm-hmm. And I have worked very hard to make sure that my children had everything that I could possibly pour into them as people, mm-hmm. so much so that my children are like, I'm never having children. The amount of sacrifice is insane. I would never <laughs> do this. Who would do this? And then I've poured into my marriage. Like Mm -hmm. I I am one of those people who is like sickeningly, stupidly, happily married. Like it's (laughs) stupid how much I love my husband. (laughs) Like people are like, what what if he cheats? And I'm staying like, I don't give a fuck what that bro does. I'm in like, this is it. He, I, I tell him all the time, just don't do stupid shit. Okay. Can you not be dumb about it? If you do some dumb stuff. Yeah. He's like, I'm not doing dumb stuff. You don't do dumb stuff. So we have <laughs> But like, I don't want the, the absence of the time that I spend mothering to become a void 
after mm-hmm. they're gone. Like yeah. the shift, like in our house, the shift in energy when our oldest daughter left was massive. Everyone felt it. Mm. Everyone who came to our home felt it. Like they were like, what is going on? And we're like, Cammy's gone. And they're like, damn, like it's, it's palpable yeah. how different our house feels when one of our children is absent. Like yeah. when Jeremiah is off, if he has gone somewhere like camp or something, everybody feels a difference in our house when one of our kids is gone. So it made me really think about like, what is it going to look like when they are gone? And how can I not suffocate my marriage asking my husband to fill this space where Oof. my children were? Like I, yeah. I, I love my husband and I love my marriage enough that I'm concerned about the idea that the absence of our roles as parents will have a negative effect on our roles as spouses, because even as spouses, we prioritize our children. Mm-hmm. Like we are parents before we're anything else. And then we are spouses. And then we are like generally working on um, giving each other the space to be as individual as possible. Like right now we're both um, like my husband is going through a space where he's trying to figure out how to be happier in himself as a human. Mm-hmm. And like, he's in doing his thing. He's in therapy. We're, you know, we're both, I'm still trying to find a therapist, but we found him one. Mm-hmm. Like we're doing the things so that we can be as whole for each other as we can. Yeah. When it becomes a space where, there's nothing to deflect into. Like there are no children to deflect into. I think that that's huge, not only because it's actually modeling to your kids the way that you want to set them up to live, but also because, I don't know, I kind of reached this point within the past couple of years where I was like, uh, having, especially having grown up in a church and really not being who that person anymore right like that's not my worldview anymore so when you grow up with like a lot of certainty about how the world works and what the point of all of it is and then you kind of remove that piece you have to come up with different answers right like what is the point of all of this and 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 kids is a great point like that is I love being able to model things to my children and raise them so that they are whole human beings but like underneath that what is, what is the point of them being whole human beings too? Right. And for me, I kind of came to this realization that like, I just want to have the human experience, the full range, right? I want to feel, yeah, I want to feel all the highs and all the lows, even when the lows are scary. Um, and, and you can't do that, uh, fully. You can't, experience that with any amount of like presence if you're always looking at how everyone else is like responding to a reaction right so it, even mm-hmm. as a parent thinking like well I'm doing this because I want my kids to benefit from it that's cool but that's not taking it all the way because taking yep. it all the way is also like because I want me to have that experience yes and I because want to be able to be clear yeah. about I want to be completely clear and present in the experience <clears throat> Yeah. Because if I'm worried about my kids and how they're going to feel about the experience, I'm checking in, I'm making sure they're okay. Like I'm making, do you see this? Do you hear this? Like I'm that parent. I'm like, if I'm involved, <laughs> pay attention, take notes, tiny human. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, so, um, 
I am uh I have a a very um is the word tumultuous the right yeah, word I don't go know. for it <laughs> experience with um faith and uh religion in particular mm-hmm. um I grew up in a very Christian household that um has had its ebbs and flows like my parents weren't serious about church when I was in my teen years but I was super serious about it oh you years. and me both you like, that's that's then, yeah <laughs> and then I came out of it. Now my parents are super serious again. And I'm like, yeah, flip the table. <laughs> because I don't believe in my, so um, I I kind of fashion myself a bit of a um, social justice person. I do a lot of um, social commentary uh, and challenging people's perceptions about race and how that colors everything in America. When people ask me, why does everything have to be about race? My response is, because this is America, everything is about race. Yeah. Um, if you peel it all, if you peel all the layers of the onion back. And for me, in the course of peeling those onion back, there was no way to separate white supremacy from Christianity for me. So mm-hmm. I was like, well, this poses a problem. Um, because even as I don't believe that Christianity as practiced in America, um, I don't believe that it can be separated from white supremacy in general, no matter what the race or um, class sector of the church grouping is. I think it's a very, very difficult adjustment to make. And Christians are unwilling in general, in my experience, unwilling to even have the conversation that the things that they believe are holy have been tampered with by man and thus makes them not so. And that's just a whole thing in my world. Like, I still believe in God. I believe in something bigger than us. I, I can't, but I don't believe that, that the way that people walk through religion is in any way reflective of God at this particular point there's like no way that you not like I'm just I'm just like you can't really believe (laughs) that this is what God wants well people people don't the people that can really believe are the people that aren't looking close enough yeah uh, and they don't want to (laughs) they're like willfully ignorant but I'm always like this wasn't like I don't color myself super smart, but I was like, this was not even that hard to get to. Like it yeah. was just like one and one and one is three. Like this wasn't even hard. But like <laughs> as a person who like it has taken, I'm 46, and mm-hmm. so I have been on this journey for a long time, mm-hmm. and I understand that it takes people a long time. So I like I do not begrudge people. Um, that has been the big thing, the big lesson that I have learned in since the pandemic is that I can't begrudge people for not being where I am. As far as like, uh, I am a huge proponent for children's rights um, and a huge proponent for gentle and conscious parenting. I'm a huge proponent of LGBTQIA rights, um, particularly trans people, particularly Black trans women, uh, and protecting them because I honestly feel like... um, if we listen to black trans women, we would be so much further along in the world uh, mm-hmm. like this blatantly. Yeah. So in being able to be accepted by people who have had to watch me journey, like just in the last, like my journey in social justice work started probably in 2012 with the death of Trayvon Martin. 
Mm-hmm. And then like, that's when it became a real thing for me, like a, a whole ass real thing. Yeah. And I'm ashamed to say it's because I had a son and I could see my son in him. And like, mm-hmm. it was literally the wake up. Like, so I understand when people say, why do you need, like, I, I it made me understanding the flaw in that logic made me really sit down and tackle my prejudices one by one so that I could be able to say that it did not take me having to have a transgender family member for me to understand and value trans people at their core for who they are and what they say their experience is and so forth and so on and keep going until I don't have like I work very hard to dismantle all the prejudices that come up from my life experience because everybody's life experience gives them that and it's our job to dismantle it that's all triggers are triggers are um for me a trigger is just a notification that there's something that i need to work on like yeah a trigger is not for you to be able to unnecessarily make me comfortable in my trigger in my Mm -hmm. trigger space the trigger is for me to learn how to deal with my thing and so i work very hard at literally going through and being aware and like I I haven't found a therapist but I'm always reading and breaking things down like if I figure out that this is my issue and that this is the thing that I'm worried about you will find 15 books in my possession within 72 (laughs) hours where I'm reading about like how we how I got here like what do I got to do like like how do I read this how do I break this down like so I'm a huge proponent of working on your own thing so that you don't have to necessarily be waiting for someone to take you through it right well I'm curious well okay I want to say a couple of things first of all I just love how I know um just even just from observing you online obviously we've hung out a few times in person but but really it's like the online stuff is where the action happens when we live you know states apart states apart um yes. but I I love knowing that you are one of those people who, no matter what situation or environment you're in, no matter what social circle you're in, you are the kind of person who will immediately go deep, just like I am. Like, like you don't like. What's the, if somebody why are we waiting? Like, if somebody's coming in. in and talking to Rakita about the weather. It's going to be the most in-depth conversation about the weather you've ever had. <laughs> We're going to talk about it. We're probably going to get into some environmentalist stuff. <laughs> We're going to talk about this water problem. We're having. We're <laughs> yeah. You're going to, you're not going to like just like, sit there and be like, yeah, it's warm for here. Let's talk about why. <laughs> like let's get into this, please. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what are we doing to make it better? Like, can we do things? Like, <laughs> No, we can't. The answer is no, we can't. And uh, I love that you're so cute to think that you're going to live to 90 because I'm like 10 years from now. I think we got 90. I don't say it would be a comfortable next 50 years. <laughs> That's I didn't true. say that. You, didn't your say body might might have the capacity for 90. I'm not sure that planet Earth as we know it is still going that strong. 90. So 90 would put us at, for me, 90 would put us at um, 2066. Oof. And I feel like I might be, I might not be able to go outside, but I might still be alive. <laughs> I think we're going to be like moving up to Canada and the yeah. Arctic by then. Yeah. 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 yeah we, but, we are, we are certainly, we did not do any of the things we needed to do to fix any of the problems yeah. that, that we have been talking about. Yeah. All the stuff they said had to be done by 2020, 
to keep us from like not dying in 2021 they didn't do none of it so you know no no. but the other thing I wanted to say is um well ask actually is because you're so transparent online about what you're working through and challenging constantly challenging others to like think through a little deeper than whatever they're used to uh you know question their knee-jerk reactions what maybe this is too personal you can tell me but what have you been working on lately for yourself like what what is a recent thing that you've had to like really push yourself and challenge yourself on wow let's see (laughs) lately the big thing has been so um as a photographer um I still love my job but I hit burnout in October the pandemic itself was exceptionally stressful like that first year was horrible and then when the world I felt like the world kind of forced itself back open instead of opening as it should I really felt like we forced that Mm -hmm. um which made weddings very stressful for me yeah like being in spaces and those early weddings were all people who did not give a fuck like let's just be real like those people was like yeah, we bringing granny ass out here with all the COVID, <laughs> fuck it all. Like, I do till I die, bitch, go. And mm-hmm. it was like, okay, um, I don't have a hazmat suit good enough for this, so <laughs> let's just figure it out. So we did, you know, I did a lot of weddings. In 21, I did like 17 weddings in June, mm. which was... How? Literally, I did weddings every... Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, all month long. I did some Wednesdays. I did some Thursdays. I did a couple where I did one very early and then another one, like one that started at 6 a.m. and then one that started at like 3 p.m. Like everybody who, like the vast majority of my brides who had moved their wedding from 2020 had moved into June. Like, (laughs) and it was happening so fast that I didn't, I, I was literally just like, is the date open? Yes, I'll move you here. Instead yeah. of being like, June is closed, pick something else. Oh yeah, and as I, a photographer, you tend to look at a calendar like a, like a puzzle, right? Yes. And like, it's like, I'll plug I, you in there. <laughs> yes, and exactly what happened. And then, um, and I had been booking, like, because 2020 didn't stop the 21 brides from booking. They were like, yeah, right. I'm just getting married in 21. This will be fine by then. So I was still booking. Right. regular so I had like I still booked like the 15 mm-hmm. or 20 weddings that I would normally book right so I was like I don't think I stopped moving from March to October I took a 10-day break in July of 21 wow and every other weekend between March and October I was shooting like I have so many memory cards because I was moving so fast it was like open new cards not dump cards and reuse them we were literally mm-hmm. like did you shoot did you fill your cards from last wedding here's a new set like to my second and like right we were just going and right we were and, le- the- and let's let's be clear because you and I had this conversation kind of a little bit before we started recording when a wedding photographer says that they are shooting last year's weddings and this year's weddings in June of this year that does not mean that they're sitting on a wad of cash. Oh no! Last year's all payments, of that, all those people who paid for June, yeah, all of that money was gone because we were trying to survive the pandemic. Exactly. And, we and I hadn't even like when 
So I'm a the a weird wedding photographer where I normally book my weddings from January to April for the okay. for the coming year. Mm-hmm. So like I was in the middle of booking 2020 when 2020 hit the shit. Mm. Like I had only booked maybe 12 or 15 okay. and I still had weddings that had booked in 2019 that were coming into 2020. So mm-hmm. I hadn't even like really hit my stride for like filling my calendar. Right. And so cuz my intention so this is so funny because my intention for 2020 was to be the first year that I shot like 35. Like I was going to be like, I'm going to kick it up. I've got like, I know what tools I need to pull in. I'll get a VA, you know, I'll get, um, I'll hire a studio manager. Like I had plans. Like yep. 2020 was supposed to be the year that shit went exactly <laughs> the, like I had a plan. Yeah, I feel I was I so was, the same. And yeah. then 2020 was like, nah, hold my beer. <laughs> Forget that. <laughs> and, like, and so in like dealing with the aftermath of all of that, it was a lot of, I don't know what to do because it's like, it's, it was a whole lot of just hold on and figure it out because nobody could tell you anything. It was a, a life space that nobody had been in. Like right. when, yeah. whenever, and I feel like a lot of business people felt like, you know, wedding, the wedding industry is fluffy Mm -hmm. and they don't really give what the wedding industry a lot of thought. Like, I don't think when thinking about how the pandemic moves, people understood just how screwed a lot of wedding like people got in the process, like the venues, like I felt so bad for venues. Like Mm there is literally only so much a venue can do mm-hmm. like they are literally selling time in a space they yep. can't rent they can't hire somebody else to do it it's literally <laughs> these 24 hours is all we got to sell yep so i felt bad for a lot of my friends and i'm uh i don't like to say that i'm an empath but i care very deeply about how other people feel mm-hmm. and so like taking on my like I felt like I was taking on my friend's stress I was taking on the world's stress in addition to trying to juggle all the work and I hit burnout in um like where I couldn't deny it anymore in Mm. October of 22 like I was just like I I'm just gonna curl into a fetal position and roll up and die like I was like this is I'm done yeah well Um, and and also the way like how I'm hearing you say all this like at the same time that all of your career is like getting not derailed but at least on a different track than you expected you're also saying goodbye to your oldest baby uh, my daughter decided you know she I we always knew she was going to go to way of college mm-hmm. she's the child who when she was 12 went on a 10-day trip to Paris with her school <laughs> like she was never like never going to be the kid who stayed home right and um I wanted that for her because it was so opposite of my experience. I tried to go away and my mom was like, you can't. And I was like, and for no other reason than they had decided that I was a matriarch. Like Mm. I was the, I was the heir to the throne. You cannot (laughs) leave while we were teaching you how to be the heir to the throne. So it was just like, I wanted her to be able to do anything, be anything, do all the things. And in the process um, I feel like October is when I let it go because she we got her to school. Like we we yeah. made the the flight down. We got her bit put into her dorm. We got her car down there. Like we did all the things. We were good. 
it's okay. Like, and then like that was in August, September. We were like, I was on edge making sure she was good. Like it was the first time that I had to let go and just be like, stand by on the ready. What do you need? Yeah. And like that first month was a lot of teenager emergency calls. Like I've Mm -hmm. never done this before. I'm freaking out calls. Mm. Like, how do I do this? Simple things. How do I get my prescription from the the pharmacy was a a major call for her. Yeah. Like, I don't know what to do. I was like, I can't keep making the call for you. You're going to do it. We'll do it on three way and we'll walk through it together. And like literally the things that you don't think about that you do for your kids because mm-hmm. it's just part of being an adult but yeah. they don't have the experience of being an adult yeah like it was like weird stuff i'm like i i, I should have sent her to the grocery store more often like stupid <laughs> silly stuff that feels silly to me that was serious to her as a t- as, as a upcoming human yeah. who does not have this experience doing these things yeah. so and by the time I felt like she was okay was in October. And then it was like, so now turn your focus back to work. And my whole body was like, no, <laughs> like everything, my body, my mind, my spirit were all like, so no, we're, you know, no, no. And I, I feel like it's a space where I, like I self-sabotaged myself for a while, did not return emails, like just hard self-sabotage for a minute. Mm-hmm. And then into, it was probably like burn through savings, burn through loan money. Like it was like, okay, now what to do? And now I guess it was maybe about three months ago where I was like, okay, so you have to decide what you're going to do. Like you can be burned out and that's allowed. Like mm-hmm. I had to, I felt like I had to give myself permission to be not okay. Like it's okay that you're not okay. But you like the world will not, accommodate this for much longer so you have to be able to you got to figure out what the balance is going to be like do you like and so a big thing for me was I don't want to miss anything else that I don't have to miss for my children Mm -hmm. um my son is playing baseball and I go to baseball games now and that's not something that I've ever done in his 12 years of life Mm -hmm. that more than maybe once or twice a season like because I'm a wedding photographer and baseball season is the summer and I'm, I'm at weddings in June. Yeah. And this year in June, I'm not at weddings. So I've been at baseball games and that's been great. Like I, like I did two weddings in June this year and they were for fantastic people who I would like, I was happy to make the sacrifice of the time because they were 100% my client. Like I felt like the pandemic really amplified people's comfort being entitled and especially in our particular industry the wedding industry is um special <laughs> in itself <laughs> to begin with it's a it's a whole thing because nothing about it is mandatory like right I love my job and I love what I do and I love weddings and I want all the big pretty flowered gorgeous 12 foot tall flower installations I love all of that. Mm-hmm. I like the pretty bows and the gorgeous stationery. And like, I love all of that. None of that shit is necessary. Like right. every last bit of it is a want and that's okay. Mm-hmm. As long as we're clear about that. Like you don't like nobody owes you <laughs> 15 foot tall florals. And if something happens in the world 
and you can't have 15 foot tall floors you got to have four foot like I need the kind of couples that are like life happens that's okay right I'm disappointed but that's okay like right prioritizing this like the correct priority um and not even correct just the most human priority like I feel like it's just an act of humanity to be okay with life happening like yeah not fixating on on the like the thing that's going to ruin it exactly like if the if the couple can keep the focus on the fact that they're getting married if they can hold on to that nugget no matter how big they make this whole thing around it as long Mm -hmm. as they stay centered on that nugget they're my client like that's the key for me that I know that they are my client if we're talking about their wedding day and we're talking about the people and their relationships and and we talked a little bit but if the whole conversation is about the stuff I know they're not my people well so let's talk about this because I I mean this is getting a little bit off of midlife but it just so happens that our midlives also co-occurred during the pandemic and the (laughs) pandemic shook things right so we're like we're a little bit off the map as far as like what happens next because because all of the templates were built on this pre-pandemic life and so I I have thoughts and feelings surprise surprise (laughs) about like yes there is a type of person who is fixated on the wrong things and they can become very entitled and or at least that's how it reads within the setting of a wedding day let's say but on the broader in the broader sense of uh how I've noticed people changed post-pandemic is that I don't think or me okay let me let me rephrase this I think I took for granted or I assumed that people had much stronger coping skills just in general with this all their true. feelings in life than it turns out they do. They, they don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think the pandemic really amplified that because whatever coping skills were getting you through normal life didn't really cut it if you didn't know how to div- dig into the deeper stuff during the deeper stress. Mm-hmm. Right. And so now I find and time and time again throughout this podcast, I've found it really comes down to like, what are your coping skills? And if your coping skills are to complain, to bitch at people, to rely on substances, to rely on just like throwing other people under the bus, like there there is such a wide range of ways that you can do this in an unhealthy, unproductive way. Very true. And I just don't know how we get past that. Like so much of my experience during the pandemic, specifically 2020, the way that I felt more often than not was like, I wish we just had a mom figure to come on TV and tell us what to do right now. Like if Michelle was still in office, she would be doing some kind of like nightly bedtime story tuck-in thing where she would tell us everything is going to be okay or you mm-hmm. know if Oprah was still on on TV or and just somebody I just wanted somebody. a mom to like step in and be like honey it's going to be okay yeah. take your vitamins drink your water get enough yeah. sleep and wake up tomorrow and we'll do it again and um there was never that central leader that figure 
to kind of guide us through. And instead it was all this like panic and like chaos and people just coming up with their own theories. And, and we were all debating like, is that scientific enough? But like what we really needed was a mom. Yeah. And um, I, I don't know. There's still a part of me that's like waiting for that. And uh, she's not coming. I think. Well, I feel like she's not coming nationally. No, um, no. she's just not. Like America will not. Like we could have. Like we could have avoided so much if we had just elected Hillary. But <laughs> I digress. <laughs> um, and I would. I'm not even a huge Hillary fan. And I'm like, we should have just did that. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. I mean, I voted for it, but I'm just saying. We 20, 2016 was okay. like a billion years ago. How can it you even so like... bad. So <laughs> but okay. But um, I feel like coping for me has been deciding to be that kind of for myself. Mm. I am a lot, like a lot of people look to me to be their person. Like I am mm-hmm. a lot of people's they call me for um, a pep talk. They call me for advice. They call me. Um, I have learned to say, how do you need me to show up? Because mm-hmm. I am a fix it person, helper. I'm a helper. Yeah. Um, and I have also learned that sometimes helping isn't fixing. So yeah. sometimes helping is just listening. Sometimes helping is offering comfort or solace. Sometimes help helping is fighting. Like, tell mm-hmm. me how you need me to help you. And yeah. I, if you don't know, we'll go through it all and see if this feels good. Like, like, how can I help? So for me, for me, myself personally, I have learned that when I am what, what coping looks like for me is double checking my foundations, double checking to make sure I can withstand what I think is coming. And Mm then while I'm in the, normally while I'm in the trenches, making sure that my foundations are good and everything's shored up and I can handle it, the thing has shown itself to be smaller than it is. I've also been very, very purposeful in not worrying. Worry is, I heard somebody say something to the effect that like worry is just borrowing anxiety for no reason. <laughs> like whether whether or not you worry about it, whatever is coming comes. How like how you decide to move in regards to that is that's between you and your maker or whatever you believe. It that's <laughs> is it doesn't change very much about what happens. It just happens. Mm-hmm. So I had to learn how to stop worrying and like literally what happens for me is I just do something else. Generally, mm-hmm. my uh, coping mechanism when I worry too much is to help other people. Like anytime you see me posting about um, what can I do for you today? It's because I'm freaking out and I need (laughs) to distract myself with some other people's stuff so that I don't do too much, push too far, overdo and cause myself more harm than helping other people. Cause sometimes I just need a minute to not. Yeah. And then it will open itself up. That's an interesting strategy because I have heard, I, well, okay, let me back up. Do you, and you can decline to answer this if you don't want, but uh, do you identify somebody who is an anxious person? Not 
um, it take anxious doesn't hit me until I feel I've lost control. Okay. So I like I am generally comfortable, and not even like lost control where I have zero confidence in what is coming. And that doesn't happen very often for me because um, just as a human, I believe the best in people and best in the world um, in that if we keep it going, if we keep pushing, something's going to click. Like it, you just got to wait for it. Like the click is coming. You just mm-hmm. it. There it is. <laughs> like I'm like one of those 12th hours. Oh, maybe 12 and. 59 13th hour there it is like (laughs) like if you wait for it generally a thing will come Mm -hmm. so um i don't freak until it's beyond that maybe second or third or fourth layer of i was expecting a thing to come and it still hasn't come yet yeah (laughs) when i lose the battle for worry is when i get anxious yeah yeah. yeah, I um I ask that because I have a lot of friends who whether they identify as anxious or not when they text me they'll say things like uh I just wish I could turn my brain off and I felt this way too. It's like yeah, that would that would be great if you could just like actually take a break from all of your own thoughts, but switching I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways to handle it. A lot of times people will say like, focus on gratitude, focus on the good, the positive. And that is sometimes easier said than done. Very but, much for me. Yeah, but like helping helping others is, it, it can feel more concrete and objective as opposed to like all the mismatch of feelings inside your own. Like hearing somebody else from the outside talk about their issues it's usually a little bit easier to see it more clearly. Absolutely. And, you know, it's kind of like, like that's the cheat. Like you can see, you can see the puzzle more clearly from the outside. Um, and ironically, and if, it always helps me see my puzzle too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes perfect sense. So back to my previous question, as far as like, what have you been learning? How are you doing with all that? The working through the, the burnout and, um, it's coming years. along. Um, I like the two weddings that I shot earlier this month made me remember that I really do love my job, like, um, <laughs> in a soul feeling way. Mm-hmm. Like when it's when all goes well, like, um, and I've had a couple portrait experiences, um, that have made me understand that I can find what I what I love at weddings in portraits I just have to change the way that I go about them and that has been a big shift for me is going to require a very special set of portrait subjects like my clients are going to like I'm going to be asking them for a lot as far as time and energy and effort I'm going to be requiring them to be emotionally open with me because the thing that I love about weddings is the emotional rawness that you can't help like on a wedding day everybody's raw even if they don't know it right like there's there's so many transactions happening socially at a wedding that people don't think about mm-hmm. your daughter like your daughter is going from your child to your colleague like as a mom when my daughter gets married she is now someone's wife 
possibly mm-hmm. someone's mother. She is now, we are equal in the eyes of society. Like we are thinking about and experiencing life in the same way. Like mm-hmm. that is a large adjustment in relationship. Right. Like that a lot of parents don't even consider until years into their child's marriage. Like really, like that, like the wedding is the point in which that transition starts for people. And whether they think about it or not, it's apparent. Like there's a reason why they call it giving away your kid. Like when mm-hmm. the dad is giving away his daughter, even if it's not like, uh, it's not the commercial sense that we are Right, aware like the, of the patriarchal weddings yeah there's still an emotional adjustment that is made when your child starts a family mm-hmm. and a wedding is such an official way to do it that it becomes all these emotions and things become real and tangible and full on a wedding day and when there are healthy relationships there it can be a beautiful thing to watch unfurl to watch fathers think about their children in this way to watch mothers interact with their children this way to watch their children understand that I am literally stepping into adulthood and my family is ushering me into it like they're like everyone who wishes a good thing for me is here doing so like there are so many different aspects to it that I don't think people think about that I am thinking about when I am shooting a wedding like it's the reason why I don't particularly love posed weddings because I feel like there's um, there's too much artist in it. There's too mm. much of the artist in it and not enough of the client. Yeah. Like there's not enough connection to the moment for me to believe it. Like I don't believe it. <laughs> um, it's pretty, but I don't believe it. Right. Like it's lovely. And if you put it on your wall, I'd be like, that's cute. <laughs> but I don't believe it right. as an as a person. Like when I look at pictures, I want to believe the people in them. I want to mm-hmm. believe in that moment of love, in that moment of laughter, in that moment of joy, mm-hmm. in that moment of self-awareness and discovery. I want to believe. And so I have to make my clients dig into the portrait process to get us to a space where I can believe it when I'm taking these pictures. Well, like, that that also speaks to another thing that we're looking at as far as um, photographers, because if you're talking about an artistic wedding photo or portrait, we want to talk about AI. <laughs> you know I am. Listen, uh, <laughs> I got thoughts. Okay, <laughs> I know, I know. We don't actually have time no. to go all the way into this. I'm just saying. But what I was going to say is, you can fill in with Photoshop beta now, AI beta. Um, you can fill in a background. You can make it a prettier picture, but you can't change the moment, the emotion. And if, and I think that's really going to split our industry, there's going to continue to be the people who like make prettier and prettier pictures because they're focused on the like perfection aspect of it and the, and the like creativity, which is cool. But like, then there's also going to be this totally other side where like, we're just focused on the people and, and the people is what you can't get a bot to like 
plug in at the end of the day like you can but it's not going to be an actual it's not memory be the, exactly and that's like i like i i have friends who are like super excited about ai and they love it mm-hmm. um but those are also the people who were doing models more than they do real couples or um they do individuals like and there's nothing wrong with that like people want to be models people want to be pretty i'm not at all poo-pooing on the idea that model work and and like stylized portraits that's a thing do you rock it out but i don't like i don't want to and i'm okay with not wanting to right like I'm a, I, like I appreciate AI. I'm excited that it's here. It would make my trash can and um exercise removal life super easy. Mm-hmm. It will make my that's straighten out my backdrop in my in studio work. It'll make all of that super easy. But I'm not putting people in Tibet when they weren't in Tibet. Like you want right. to go to Tibet <laughs> and make a photo? Fucking buy me a plane ticket. We can go to Tibet. But I'm not doing this. Like, I don't want to. And it's cool. I just, I don't want to. But but I'm not, and the thing of it is, I'm not afraid of AI because it can. As a matter of fact, I feel like it makes me more valuable when I stand in my space on it. Like, I want to take a picture of you as your most authentic self. Mm-hmm. And I want you to feel all of your personal power when you look at this portrait of yourself. I want you to feel how powerful and clear and authentically yourself you were in the moment. If I can get you there, mm-hmm. I want you to feel it and then see it every time you see that picture. Yeah, And you know, and I know that you're not going to get that from some dude who decides to take your picture and then like put you in whatever well it's the same it's the same feeling that you and i might get if somebody tried to slim me down in a photo like right. don't, don't you to, dare that doesn't give me, me smooth me but don't slim. <laughs> that doesn't don't. give me that that lasting feeling of pride because then all i can see is the flaws that you thought were there that you yep. felt like needed to be fixed okay. uh i would rather see triple chin lucy with a giant smile on my face exactly then whatever you think i want to see like exactly. that's just yeah so i i totally get that so we kind of went off off track a little bit from midlife but oh but ironically all, though yeah. this is where our midlife is like right. the world as it exists right now has been such a massive amount of generational growth fast mm-hmm. like my grandma who died in what 2018 she Mm -hmm. might have died was 103 and Mm -hmm. had lived through everything in a hundred years she had seen the world go from her grandmother was a slave to electric cars and computers in your pocket yeah like she was generally i remember the first time we bought her a taco she freaked out she was like what is this and why do i have to eat it with my hands um and then like the whole phone thing she was never excited about cell phones 
like looking like this like Mm -hmm. she was like you can't even fold it this is dumb like a phone (laughs) like like but she like (laughs) when you have to think about like where her life came from like she came from pre like paved roads like you know like she yeah like she lived a life that went from no television to computers and Mm -hmm. pocket held screens like like from the first tv was something that you heard about to black and white tvs in your house to color tvs to like movie like it when you think about how far the world came in that hundred years and we think about how far the world has come in my 46 mm-hmm. like just shoot just in like since 2020 <laughs> i remember y2k and we freaking out because the world was going to end because the calendar flip was going to be <laughs> a thing right and like and back then in 2020, phones were just becoming regular. Like I think iPhones might have might be might have been right on the cusp. Oh, in, in 2000. Like I think the yeah. first iPhone might have happened in like 03 or something. Maybe. Because yeah. I didn't have an iPhone when I'm because I met my husband online on match.com. And it's not something that I did on my phone. I did mm-hmm. it on a computer. Like it wasn't available on your phone yet. Like apps were not a thing in 2001. Yeah. No, you were still having to click the seven button five times. Right. To get exactly. To letters. Like I had the cool, <laughs> I had the cool beeper so I could type, <laughs> but it was still like, we were excited when that bad boy went color. And then we went straight from that to phones, mm-hmm. like phones with whole screens. <laughs> and like that was fast in comparison to our experience with cell phones going from the brick in the phone in in the car like that was tied to a car like mobile phones yeah started as actual mobile phones yeah <laughs> and then like we went from clamshells to iPhones in like 4 years well, and now, now we're also having the conversation of in your lifetime, maybe also mine, but I think you're, you're a little ahead of me. So, uh, I think this applies a little bit more to you. We've gone completely from film photography. Oh, I shot my first weddings on film. All the like, way to now we can get an AI to create a whole photo if you want. Listen, I literally I shot my first wedding when I was 14 with 10 rolls of film. Like <laughs> I remember you saying no that. lie. And I remember how quickly photography went from an elite boys a boys club, like elite white boys club for sure. For damn sure. Like I didn't know any black photographers. Like I couldn't even find black photographers to talk to. Um, one guy, let me take that back. There was one guy in my in my city, his name was Bill. <laughs> but for the most part, but he wasn't like friendly at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Probably because he was then, tired of having to fight everyone off saying like, no, well, I'm not no, a white like, guy. <laughs> the the but the, the the funny thing was, like when I like when we took photos, mm-hmm. like there wasn't a whole lot of competition for photography it wasn't like a universal thing 
right like gear was expensive <laughs> like and not in a how we think like i don't necessarily think gear is expensive anymore mm-hmm. um given how like you can get started in photography for a lot like relatively a lot less than you could get started in photography in 2001 i feel that yeah like in in 2023 literally i could probably get you rocking for maybe fifteen hundred dollars yeah like we could get you a camera a lens maybe two Mm -hmm. and like a website yada 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 I've seen feature length movies shot on iPhone. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And <laughs> like there was a um <laughs> this is my favorite example. There's an ad running on Instagram right now that shows like an eighty thousand dollar camera crane that Hollywood uses to get a particular shot. Mm-hmm. This chick recreated the shot with four Swiffers and an iPhone. <laughs> I was like, ain't this about a bitch? Like, <laughs> just Swiffer's dog? Like, I was like, well, all right. So, <laughs> like, I appreciate the ingenuity, but I was like, God damn, you replaced $80,000 gear with $150 worth of Swiffer's dog. For real. Oh I was like, gosh. I ain't mad at it, but goddamn. <laughs> so it just feels like there's a, and ironically, I feel like that same entitlement that I feel like brides have, everybody has. I mm. it just feels more. I know that it just feels more personal to me because of the way that I feel about weddings. Well, and you get um, it in more concentrated doses when you're spending eight hours with a person. ironically it's always i spend so much time i try to spend time with my clients beforehand Mm -hmm. um and it's literally on the front end where i i it becomes apparent that this is what it's going to be yeah and it becomes harder and harder as they go further and further into it yeah but that's a whole nother thing um but it always (laughs) feels like like even in younger photographers as we live in this um instant gratification instant access society that they expect to have instant access and instant gratification to the people around them Mm. um to industry to education to camaraderie to friendship like people don't build like people don't want to build relationships Mm especially online because it's so easy to just be like block forget right um and i work very hard not to block people unless they are absolutely trolls i don't Mm -hmm. generally block people i will unfriend or unfollow someone because i need space i need a break i don't want to see your space while i'm dealing with my response i'm going Mm -hmm. to deal with my response in my space and then if that if that allows me to come back i will and if it doesn't then i won't Mm -hmm. but i want to remove myself from the space but i don't feel like i have to erase you for that right you know what i mean i don't i never feel like i want to erase people like i care that you exist i'm still wishing the best for you but i don't have to do that and interact with you online to do so but most people don't understand that friendships take about 
seven, eight months to a year to be real. And in that mm-hmm. amount of time, you should have had a disagreement. <laughs> and the kick is most people have disagreements online in these days and disengage and throw away. And the kick is if every person in your world has to agree with you all the time, what kind of life is that? Well, yeah, I I think it goes back to that whole like thing that we were talking about with our kids. Like, what are you modeling to people? Because most people have never seen that model of like struggling through and commute, learning to communicate, to communicate with each other as opposed to just writing people off. And so, yeah, I think people try to downplay like the the work that that somebody that a prominent social media figure like yourself within within your circles, right? I think that you you have a really big influence over the people that that you're friends with. And uh, uh, that's I, I, scary. But but like you you and I know it's true, right? Like I, I so I, I wouldn't try call you very like a hard figure, but uh I but you're very you're, hard you're to, to not assume that y'all be listening to me out here on these internet streets. <laughs> you know we are though. You but know like, we are. Y'all might want to reconsider this. <laughs> <laughs> but people try to downplay that that is like work and takes effort. They just kind of are like, oh, somebody's just kind of like shouting into the void. But when you actually, when somebody like yourself actually posts with intention and, and does that work, you're living your life in front of other people and you are modeling to them maybe for the first time how to do this and and you know from the comments that you get and probably the dms that you get for some people it's the first time they've ever seen it i i don't get that very often well um i don't know that people think about it i you might be the first person who's ever said that it's the first time that they've seen that people have seen i guess life modeled in the way that i decide to live it Mm -hmm. which is a um, wild thought for me um (laughs) I mean, I'm not even nearly as vocal as you. And sometimes I get DMs that are like, thank you for saying this. I haven't been able to tell anybody, but I'm going through this thing. And I'm like, oh, oh, people actually read what you write on the internet. (laughs) And take it with the intention that you gave it. Right. Wow. (laughs) So there's one final question I ask all of my guests. Okay. And we're going to leave on this note. If you could go back and tell younger Rakita any wise thought that you wish you you would have heard what would you tell the younger you winning powerball numbers outside of that um <laughs> um it depends on the age what high school Rakita yeah high school Rakita I would tell that it's not that serious it's gonna mm-hmm. be okay mm-hmm. and just keep pushing college Rakita I would tell her it's okay to let it go and you can you can pick it up up later like um Mm. I would have maybe told myself that you can do what you want to do you don't have to do what other people told you to do uh my in my 20s early parent Rakita um I would tell her just keep going because you're going in the right direction like I don't have a lot of like I don't have a lot of regrets um for who I was in those spaces in those times Mm -hmm. like I would just tell myself that it's going to be like generally at every space, I would just be like, it's okay. Like you're going to be okay. Like whatever it is that you're worrying about, you won't remember it in a year. 
it's gonna be okay like that's the thing that gets me out of my worry worry spirals like especially my favorite thing is to go into facebook memories and um so one thing that i do is i make comments i make wall posts to myself and make them visible to only me because they will show up in my memories and i will say to myself you were very worried about a thing do you remember what it is wow and the first like i did that a couple years ago and the first time it popped up i was like i have no fucking idea <laughs> what i was so stressed out about and it really it literally changed my like goals as far as trying to not live in worry yeah. because i was like i really have like i had no clue like i couldn't tell from like the other stuff that i had posted and like any of the things <laughs> like there was no like clues about like no idea like I don't know if you're trying to like stalk your former self yeah trying to figure out like was it the house note did we did we not know if we were gonna make the house payment was the car (laughs) broken down like did the kid do something like what was the thing where Jerry and I in a weird space where is it was it me and my mom was it like (laughs) was it another relationship did I like lose a friend that I didn't like what was it no idea and it's like all of that worry for nothing yeah like literally for nothing because I promise you it did not affect whatever my decision was Mm -hmm. like how I moved I tried very hard not to make decisions out of my worry Mm -hmm. like if I'm worried about a thing then I'm gonna step back put on my little helper cape and go help somebody so that I'm not worried (laughs) about my thing until the worry has subsided enough that I can see clearly what I want to do like how I want to move. Worry really is like clouds. It's literally just cloud cover. Yeah, cloud it, cover. Like, it doesn't do anything. Your vision. But just blocks the light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's huge. Well, that that is some pretty fantastic advice. I'm gonna like be sitting with that for a while. <laughs> and you Love know, cloud. I knew coming into this, I should have known. Like, oh, I'm gonna get the good stuff today. <laughs> I just I I always um my grandma is the person when I was young my grandma told me that my gift was that I was a steward um mm. and that my my job in life was going to be to help people she told me that when I was very young and I was like I don't even know what that means lady but okay you want to put on white gloves at church cool uh, <laughs> you want to be on a steward board like that's what I thought she was talking about like I mm-hmm. literally had no idea what that meant and it didn't even occur to me that she had said it until much later in life when I was thinking about what it means to live the way that I wanted to live. Mm-hmm. That word kept coming up, stewardship, stewardship, stewardship. And I was like, oh, to be trusted in a space, to be able to um, be trusted to help people and support people. And that's literally uh, how I use photography. It's how I use, I was a poet. It's how I use poetry. It's how I use all the tools that I have as a human, I use them in the spirit of helping other people. So I'm okay with that. I'm going to call you out for a second because you just worded something very slightly differently, even in that like long last sentence that you just said. The first time you said it, you said being a steward was helping people. And then at the end of that sentence, you said helping other people. But- I'm going to take you back because what I I was going to end it was with was I'm so glad 
that Rakita is now on that list of people too. Oh, absolutely. I yeah. I'm very clear that I have to be um that that my pouring into other people has to be from my overflow. It has mm-hmm. to be from my access and not be from my um like I don't want to stop the flow into me and then pour. I want the things to still be pouring and to be filling other people's cup from my saucer, not mm-hmm. from my cup. Yeah. Like that is my absolute number one goal. If I feel like I am not in a space where I can pour without it costing me, then I need a way I need to stop and figure out a different way to do it. Yeah. Like that is my number one goal as a human right now. And I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> I'm excited to see how this goes. I mean, yeah. Thank you so much for having this chat. Anytime. Um tell the people how they can follow you and please if you've got any things cooking right now this uh is, i don't have too. things cooking yet i'm trying to figure out what to cook okay. um, uh we're probably going to do a, a photography workshop i am trying to figure out how to just workshop being i don't know how to workshop a a, a conversation like this honestly um with people Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to do more of that. Um, yeah. but I don't know how I'm going to do that yet. Anybody who wants to follow along with the crazy is welcome <laughs> to hit that fresh follow button on Facebook. I am Rakita everywhere. Generally, you will either see me with rainbow hair or one of these nifty Goran caps on in a <laughs> profile picture. But I am on Instagram. I am on Twitter still barely. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am on <laughs> Facebook and I'm on TikTok. I'm either on TikTok, I'm under my business page, I think, Pink's It Photo. Okay. And you can find me everywhere there as well. I tell people um, I can be a lot some days, and I'm okay with that. You're the right amount of a lot. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. And um, just a reminder that if you would like to keep supporting the podcast, you can click on the link in my bio to buy me a coffee and yeah you should have a patreon do you not have a patreon it's on my to-do list and i didn't show you my to-do list but it is long yeah i know i know i know i know that's why we're doing this as a video but um Ah. last month i said hey i'm going to start a patreon and i still haven't done it so (laughs) keep staying tuned and if you follow me online then one of these days you're going to see the patron. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm going to bother you till you get one. I'm going I'm to I'm needle you in the side. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> thanks for listening to Midlife Plot Twists. Be sure to hit subscribe and check back monthly for each new episode. Since monthly podcasts don't automatically download, you can also follow me on Instagram at Lucy Baber and Facebook at Lucy Baber Photography to be the first to know when each new episode is released.